Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Today's program will focus on the Eighth Commandment of God, Thou shall not bear false witness, as well as the commandments of the Church. In previous programs, we've gone over the first three commandments of the Decalogue, to have no God but God, to honor his holy name, and to keep holy his day, the Sabbath. And we've gone over the fourth commandment, to honor our parents, our father and our mother, to respect property, not to covet our neighbor's goods or to steal them, to honor human sexuality, not to covet our neighbor's wife or husband or to commit adultery or other impure acts. We went over the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Today, we focus on that commandment which shows the truth of all the faith. All the articles of the creed which we've previously gone over, the mysteries of faith, for God is God, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. The in brief statements of the Catechism of the Catholic Church begins its presentation on the Eighth Commandment by citing both the book of Exodus and the letter to the Ephesians. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Exodus chapter 20 verse 16. The disciples of Christ have put on the new man created according to God in justice and holiness, which comes from truth. To bear false witness, to tell lies. That's the obvious part. No lies. Who is the way, the truth, and the life? We know it is Christ the Lord. The truth will set you free. Who spoke those words? Christ the Lord. We are disciples of the Lord when we bear witness to the truth of his gospel, of his mercy, of his justice, of his love. And we show our love for God and for our neighbors and for ourselves when we are doers of the truth, saying the truth in love to any and all concerned. This new man was put on when we were baptized, when we came to faith. If we revert to lies or deception or poor speech, we are reverting to the old man. Justice to give each their due, and there is none who has as due lies. Truth or truthfulness is the virtue which consists in showing truth in actions and to say the truth in words by taking care to avoid duplicity, simulation, and hypocrisy. Here... The Catechism is pointing out different flavors of untruth, different flavors of bearing false witness, different flavors of sins against this commandment of God. Duplicity, simulation, and hypocrisy. When some of us were children, before the age of the photocopy machine, we had the duplicating machine. Remember all those heavy fumes? Well, to bear false witness, to be duplicitous, that would be two-faced, perhaps, not true, not the original self. This is worse than heavy ink fumes. The stench is rotten. Simulation would be to fake it, and hypocrisy, a variation on that same theme. We say one thing and do another. Truth in our actions. If I say I love you and I keep giving you a black eye, that's an odd way of showing love. I say I respect your property, but then I take it from you. Funny way of speaking the truth by our actions. When we bear witness to the truth of the gospel, 
we do so not only by our words, and we must speak the words, but also by our deeds. Think of Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, who not only spoke to God about those whom she served, but she also spoke to those whom she served about God. But she spoke volumes just by the physical care, bathings, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. She showed the truth of her faith by her actions, and we're called to do no less. The Christian is not ashamed to give witness to the Lord, St. Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 8, in act and in word. There have been some who would never speak with reverence or devotion the holy name of Jesus. Oh no, I'm just going to let my actions speak. Actions speak louder than words. But we can't just do good. We have to give praise and glory to the God for whom we do what good we do. Martyrdom is the supreme witness given to the truth of the faith. It's very important here to remember that the Christian martyrs are not those who go out and blow up other people or who kill other people like some who claim martyrdom in our own day. The Christian martyrs suffer for proclaiming the truth of the gospel. St. Paul had his head severed from his body. St. Peter, who was crucified upside down, they did not attack the emperor, the Roman legion, but they were put to ignoble deaths. St. Lawrence, who was barbecued. How many martyrs throughout the centuries? Martyrdom giving witness to the truth of the faith, and all of the martyrs pale in comparison with Christ himself, who suffered, who was put to death, as he bore witness to the truth of the love of God for us. No greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And our Lord laid down his life for us while we were still yet at enmity with him and with each other and with ourselves. And in truth he had the power to lay down his life and to take it back up again, as he did on Easter the third day. The truth of the faith is he rose from the dead and has ascended to the Father's right hand and will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his judgment will be true, and we do not bear false witness to this. Respect for the reputation and honor of persons interdicts or forbids all attitudes or all words of slander or calumny. So, while at face value, the Eighth Commandment is not to bear false witness. We see not only our duplicity, simulation, and hypocrisy against the Eighth Commandment, but likewise slander and calumny. Sins of speech, the way we speak to one another, the way we speak about one another, or about others in their absence, talking trash. In the legal system, we speak about libel, civil jurisprudence. Lying consists to say falsehoods with the intention of deceiving the neighbor who has the right to the truth. Remember, in our courts of law, we make a promise, we make a pledge, we take an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Why would we want to deceive our neighbors? We want truth in advertising. A fault committed against the truth demands reparation, payback. There's a happy example of the far-reaching consequences of our sins of speech fault against the truth. If I calumate or detract or slander somebody, 
I say something bad about you. And then the person I said that to tells somebody, and they tell somebody, and they sell somebody, and it spreads like wildfire. The example has been given of going up a tall building with a feather pillow and ripping it open, and the feathers go flying, and then go try to pick up all those feathers. Nearly impossible. Sacred scripture reminds us that much sinning cannot be avoided in a flood of words. So let us be prudent in our use of the power of speech, saying only the good things people need to hear, saying the truth in love, the truth which sets us free, who is none other than Christ himself. And in a spirit of reparation, not only for the sins of others, but for our own sins, we beg the mercy of God. In truth, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, not do to others before they do unto you. The golden rule aids discernment, helps us figure out, in concrete situations, in here now, is it proper or not to reveal the truth to the one who is asked? Think of the difficult dilemma. You have these evil men, the National Socialists of Nazi Germany, knocking on your door. Are there any Jews here? Well, we know what they were going to do with those people. They were going to put them to death. So, with the mental reservation, we say, No, sir, there are none here. The mental reservation being for you to kill. The sacramental seal is inviolable. This is a reference to the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of mercy, of healing. The sacramental seal being inviolable means the priest who hears the confession or the translators who help a penitent to confess are not allowed to speak outside the confessional of that which is heard. It stays in the confessional, the internal forum. The Catechism of the Catholic Church here so cites the Code of Canon Law 1983 regarding the inviability of the seal. It cannot be broken. There have been, in fact, martyrs for the seal. Those priests who refused to tell what was heard. St. John Nepomucene comes to mind. The queen had gone to confession to him, and that was that. They had prayed, the mercy of God extended, and then the king went to the confessor and said, Tell me what she said, and the saint covered his lips with his finger, and the king strangled the saint and threw him to the depths of the river, and he died. Years later, when his mortal remains had been exhumed, all had decayed, his hands and his feet, everything except his tongue, which he held. The tongue remained, even as the silence remained, regarding the seal of confession. Professional secrets must be kept. Prejudged confidences of another cannot be divulged. So we're not to rashly make promises, 
you know, you promised to keep the secret. I'm going to go do this X bad thing, whatever it is. So don't make a rash promise to keep a secret. That's why it says a prejudged confidence cannot be divulged. Professional secrets, it's one thing when we're going to announce the iPad or the iPod or the Macintosh, if you like that flavor of computing. The announcements come when they come. It's another thing to have a, quote, professional secrets, unquote, of the sort Alphonse Capone would have, or Tony Montana from that imaginary film Scarface. Drug dealers or violent criminals, whatever, their, quote, professional secrets, end quote, are are not professional secrets. They're plottings of crimes, and those are secrets which should not be kept. Society has the right to information founded on the truth, liberty, and justice. It is proper to impose moderation and discipline in the usage of the means of social communication. This is a very dense passage from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Society is, has the right to information founded on the truth. What will set us free? The truth will set us free. And so society has a right to information founded on liberty, freedom, not license, justice to give each their due. Don't tell lies about me. Don't tell lies about anybody else. Don't even tell lies about yourself. Say the truth about yourself. Say the truth about other people. Say the truth to other people to give each their due. To say it freely, without coercion. Moderation and discipline, things which are not so often celebrated... Although we do admire athletes when they're so strong. Imagine the great serves you see at the Australian Open just completed, or Wimbledon, or the U.S. Open. Or imagine the great basketball shots you see, the layups, the free throws, the slam dunks. Imagine the great football passes you see. It takes a lot of discipline to do the workouts which are required for those great sports activities. That's discipline. Moderation. It's very difficult in 2010, even as it has been for time immemorial, to be temperate. That's one of the virtues. If all I do is listen to the radio all day, and never pray, or never eat, or never play, it will not be good for me, or for you. If I only eat, and never work, or sleep, or things, it will not go well with me. Similarly, a balanced life, not too much, not too little, this is moderation. Moderation in the social communications means don't waste your whole day surfing the web, or surfing the channels with cable we have how many countless channels 
or surfing the radio, reading every newspaper. Do you have to read 10 newspapers? Moderation and the usage of the means of social communication. Do I have to tweet or Twitter everything? Put everything on my Facebook page or read everybody's blog? Moderation in the means of social communication. There were 16 documents composed by the fathers of the Second Vatican Council, and one of them was actually on the means of social communication. The Church Does Not Look Askins is not against newspapers or the internet or the radio. In point of fact, Mother Church is happy to use all of those means to spread the gospel, to encourage us in our lives of prayer. What do we need to pray for? We need to pray for the people who suffered from earthquakes in Haiti, who suffered from hurricanes in Louisiana. We need to pray for this or that other situation. How do we know those situations? Because, thank God, of the means of social communication. Film at 11. Story at the top of the hour. But if all we do is just sit and watch, and then we never get on our knees and pray for these situations, or if we never get out our checkbook and make the donation we should, then the moderation is lost, and then the information is not used to good. The last passage of the Catechism of the Catholic Church regarding the Eighth Commandment in these in brief statements refers to the fine arts. The fine arts, but above all sacred art, has as its nature to express the fashion in the fashion of human works the infinite beauty of God, and they are consecrated as much as they can be to increase his praise and glory, having no other purpose than to lead as much as is possible to turn human souls toward God. Why do we have this passage about sacred art in articles relating to the Eighth Commandment, not to bear false witness? I think it's because truth, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt honor, thou shalt love, thou shalt speak the truth, is one of the transcendentals. One, good, true, beautiful. These are interchangeable, and they all refer back to God, who is one, who is true, who is good. The origin and end of all of these, and of beauty no less. So, if we're to be moderate in our use of the means of social communication, so too, our use of the fine arts should likewise be moderate and reflect the good, the true, the one, the beautiful. In short, reflect the God in whose image we are made. In truth, we are made in the image of God to bear witness to the truth, to spread the truth wherever we might be. There was a famous skeptic, Pontius Pilate was his name, and standing face to face with truth incarnate, he said, Quod est veritas. What is truth? Let us pray for our own deep and ongoing conversion, that we might be more and more committed to Christ, the truth of his gospel, the truth of his love and mercy and justice, the truth of the faith. While we've gone over the Ten Commandments of God, as found in the brief statements of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there's a further passage which is worth our reflection regarding the commandments of the Church. Not only does God have his commandments, but God who has commanded us to hear the Church, 
He who hears you hears me. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. The church herself has commandments. And really, they just refocus our attention on things already found in the Big Ten. So if this is new for you, I'm glad to make the presentation. And if it's just reinforcing what you've already known and done, well, thanks be to God there too. The commandments of the church are placed in the line of a moral life, reliant upon, based, and nourished by a liturgical life, the life of public prayer of the church. The obligatory, necessary, required character of these positive laws, ecclesiastical positive law, the law of the church, written down, decreed by the pastoral authorities, so specifically the Pope, who is the Bishop of Rome, and his brother bishops in communion with and under him, have for their end, why bother? Well, there's a goal in mind, to guarantee to the faithful, that is, us who believe in Christ, the indispensable minimum, that without which, like it is indispensable that we breathe, like it is indispensable that we have so much nutrition and hydration for our human living, for our living in Christ, Mother Church assures us there is likewise a similar indispensable minimum in a spirit of prayer and in moral effort in the growth of the love of God and neighbor. And here you go, six commandments of the church presented in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Number one, the first commandment, Sunday and feast masses similarly. The faithful participate in the Eucharistic celebration when the Christian community is gathered on the day which commemorates the resurrection of the Lord, even if this is done sometimes in vigil Saturday night. The nice thing about the Saturday night Mass is it's the best of both worlds. We keep holy the Sabbath of old, the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday, which is anticipated similarly with the Friday night lighting of the candles, the vigil. But Christians, since the time of the apostles, have gathered on the day of the Lord, his day because he rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday so many years ago. The second commandment of the church, confess your sins at least once a year. At least this assures the preparation for the Eucharist by the reception of the sacrament of reconciliation, confession, penance, which continues the work of conversion and pardon of baptism. St. Paul, he says to us, let a man examine himself, lest he eat and drink condemnation unto himself. Here, this passage of sacred scripture is spelled out. This is the bare minimum, at least once a year. Pope John Paul II is said to have gone to confession every week. So, if he had a reputation for being very holy, it was not just the good that he did do, and he did much, but it was also the good he let God do to and through him by his regular reception of the sacraments. Not only our Father, holy baptism, not only Eucharist, give us this day our daily bread, but also penance, forgive us our trespasses. The third commandment of the church, humbly receive your Creator at least at Easter. The annual confession, annual communion. This guarantees a minimum 
in the reception of the body and blood of the Lord. In connection with the Easter feast, the origin and center of the Christian liturgy. It's important to remember again, though, the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, not just on the Lord's Day, Sunday by Sunday, not just on the great feast of the Lord, Easter is resurrection, but we say give us this day our daily bread taught by the Lord. So even day by day, the Mass is offered in every parish just about, just about every day. Give us this day our daily bread, but the minimum at least once a year. There's been in the history of the church a specific heresy related to this, which is why this commandment of the church was instituted, the heresy of Jansenism, those who would only receive Holy Communion once or twice during their lives. But our Lord instituted the sacrament of the altar, not only that he might be present and adored, but that he might be received and grace increased in the lives of those who well and worthily receive. The fourth commandment of the church, sanctify the feast which are commanded, complete Sunday observance, 52 Sundays out of the year, by participation in the principal liturgical feast which honor the mysteries of the Lord, the Virgin Mary, and the saints. If you read the Code of Canon Law, there's a complementary norm there regarding which are those feasts. Canon 1246 reads like this, Sunday on which by apostolic tradition the Paschal mystery is celebrated is to be observed in the universal church as the primary holy day of obligation. The following feast days are also to be observed as holy days of obligation. In the United States of America, the Nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the 25th of December, the Ascension of the Lord, 40 days after Easter, the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, the 1st of January, the Immaculate Conception of the Mother of God, the 8th of December, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Body and Soul to Heaven, the 15th of August, and the Solemnity of All Saints on the 1st of November each year. In other nations, the Epiphany of the Lord, on or near the 6th of January, in Corpus Christi, the Solemnity of St. Joseph, March 19th, the Solemnity of the Apostles, Saints Peter and Paul, the 29th of June, are likewise feast of precept or holy days of obligation the fifth commandment of the church keep equally the prescribed fast and abstinences assures times of asceticism and penance which prepare us for the liturgical feast they help us to attain mastery over our instincts and liberty of heart this way we're not slaves to our stomachs when the scripture says their god is their stomach it is a rebuke it is a reproach it is not a compliment. And so, by days of fast and abstinence, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, we show the depth of our faith, heightening our spiritual hunger, even by physical hunger, and by abstinence from meat throughout the year, especially on the Fridays of Lent. The Code of Canon Law 1983, Canon 1251, reads like this. Abstinence from meat or from some other food as determined by the bishops' conference, and the bishops of the United States have focused on meat, is to be observed on all Fridays unless a solemnity should fall on Friday. Abstinence and fasting are to be observed on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. The sixth commandment of the church, the faithful have the further obligation to provide for the material necessities of the church 
each one according to his capacities. There have been other commandments in the history of the church. The whole code of canon law, in a certain sense, could be read that way. Others to observe the marriage laws. Others to participate in the missionary spirit of the church. Regardless, we are to obey God, who commands us to obey his church, even until Christ the Lord should return in glory the end of time. Until next time, or until then, may God bless you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.